Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Goldstone Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. John chapter 4, verses 7 through 26. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he did also his, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the, this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and Otherwise, what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. 
To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known. And you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be. You tell me everything, you tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too, we all do, need it for our own. After she met Jesus. The story that uh, John read for us of the Samaritan's woman's encounter with Jesus seems straightforward, doesn't it, when we first read it? Jesus is thirsty. It's the middle of the day and probably hot. There is a woman at the well with a bucket and Jesus asks for a drink of water. Straightforward so far. The woman says to Jesus, I am a Samaritan woman and you are a Jew. Jews don't have anything to do with us. An immediate barrier between them. But Jesus offers her something that breaks down that perceived barrier that leads to her understanding of the way to salvation. He offers her living water that he says will spring up in her to eternal life such that she would never be thirsty again. And of course, the water he was talking about is himself. If you drink of me and the life that I can give you, you will be completely satisfied and never be thirsty again. Let us pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to each of our hearts, that you would meet us in our need, where we are at. We ask that you would give us that living water, you would satisfy our every need, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When we look closely at the passage and what Jesus is saying and who he is saying it to, the prejudices of the Jews at the time, and perhaps even our own prejudices today, there is so much to unpack about Jesus' salvation for the Jew and the Gentile. Jesus' non-condemnation of a sinful person. Jesus' offer of an abundant and a wonderful life in communion with him. And what he teaches, what he teaches us about how to share the gospel without being judgmental of another one's historical background, their religion or culture, and how we can come to him regardless of how low and unworthy we might feel of ourselves. Well, with all that in mind, to unpack it, I think we'll probably finish in, oh, I don't know, probably three hours? <coughs> well, okay, just kidding. Let's see what we can do and condense it down to about 20 minutes. 
The setting of our story is of critical importance. Jesus is alone at the well with a woman. Having sent the disciples off to find food in the village, Jesus seeks out the woman at the well, who he would have supernaturally known all about. He knew that she was a Samaritan woman. Well, that wasn't hard. They were in Samaria. He knew her lifestyle and why, why she was at the well alone at the hottest part of the day. And he knew the need and the desire that she had for acceptance, repentance and a new and better life. In fact, Jesus knows all about you and me as well. He knows our thoughts, our needs. He knows our shame, our likes and our dislikes. There's nothing about us that he does not know and still he loves us. After all, we are his creation and he tells us in his word that he knows us intimately. He says we are wonderfully and fearfully made and that he knows every hair on our head, those that have it. So Jesus uses this opportunity to meet this Samaritan woman on her own. Now that in itself was something that no self-respecting Jew would have done. Jews just did not converse with women on their own in public. The strict rabbinic Jews even forbade a rabbi to greet a woman in public. And we see this cultural norm playing out a bit later in verse 27 of the passage. For when the disciples returned, they were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. But none of them asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Jesus was breaking down those cultural barriers and showing his disciples that it was okay to speak directly with a woman in public, even a Samaritan woman. For you see, the Samaritans were an outcast people. They lived in the mountainous region, which today is now a part of the West Bank of Palestine. Quite a topical issue, isn't it? They were not accepted by the Jews due to their differing version of Judaism, which was intermixed with other pagan traditions. They were openly hostile to the Jews and the same by the Jews to the Samaritans. Both sides said that they were the true religion of Israel. Samaritans had built a temple on Mount Gerizim near Sychar, which is where Jesus and the disciples had travelled to and our story unfolds. Whereas, of course, the Jewish temple was built in Jerusalem. And so, here is Jesus, picking out this Samaritan woman on her own to ask her for a drink of water. Was he thirsty? Or was it just a way to start a conversation with her? Well, it could have been either or both. After all, it was about midday in the heat of the day and he may well have been thirsty. But what was she doing there at that time? Surely it would have been better for her to go to the well early in the day when it was cooler and the other women of the village would have had been there as well. She could have had company and been able to chat. Ah, But then we learn why she was there alone. She had been shunned by the respectable women of the village because of her lifestyle. She had been married five times before and the man she was living with now was not her husband. She would have felt shame at her circumstances and most likely made to feel that shame by the women of the village. So she avoided having to be confronted by them and coming at an hour of the day when she knew no one else would be there except Jesus. Jesus had intentionally sought her out not to shame her or berate her as the others would have done. No, he asks for a cup of water, a conversation 
that leads to her understanding of her own need of the salvation that Jesus offers. The video that we saw brings to life the emotions of the woman at the well, her thoughts, her dreams, her hopes and her desires. No one looks at her directly, no one looks her in the eye. She has a name, she is a person, but she is despised even amongst the Samaritan people. She sees no way out of her guilt or her sin or her shame. Her unworthiness in her own eyes drives her to solitude, exclusion and loneliness. I imagine she does not see any future for herself until Jesus came along. Jesus didn't say, I know all about you, now go away and get your act together and come back to me when you are squeaky, clean and respectable. No, he didn't say that. Jesus met her where she was at, just as he meets, you, meets us where we are at. He met her in her need and her desperation. He said, come to me and drink the water that I am offering you. In verse 10, Jesus says, for if you knew the gift of God and who it is that gives you, that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. The woman is puzzled. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Surely a reasonable question. But what she was thinking of the water Jesus was offering would come from the same well that she was going to draw from. No, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This is the gift of God that Jesus spoke about. Do you have a spiritual thirst? A thirst to know and be known by God? To be forgiven by God? To be able to live as the scriptures call us to live? What is stopping you? Is it guilt or shame or a feeling of unworthiness? How could a good and a kind and a loving God ever consider me worthy with all my past mistakes and the things that I have done? Why would he ever accept me, a sinner, someone who has turned his back on God and gone their own way? I would say, how could he not? You might be feeling low and shameful and the last thing you need is for someone to point out to you that, and add more shame and guilt to your life. Then this story is for you. Jesus lifts you out of the mire. He gives you hope and salvation and a new direction. He doesn't say, go and clean yourself up and then come back to me. No, he simply says, come to me just as you are, broken and hurting. Come to me and I will make you clean. Come to me and I will satisfy the desires of your heart to be known by God and accepted by him. That is what he is saying to you and to me. And that is what Jesus was saying to the Samaritan woman at the well. You know that your life has not been good. Look how it has worked out. Yes, I know about your five husbands and the man you are living with now who is not your husband, but I am offering you what you most desire and seek. I am offering you hope. Hope for the future. Hope to be cleaned. Hope to start afresh in me. For in me, Jesus says, you will find the life that will satisfy all the things of your life. 
If you believe in me, if you follow me, then I will give you living water. Water that will become in you a spring of water that welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me some of this water, the woman said. Have you felt like that? Lord, give me some of this living water. I think we probably all would have said at some point in our lives, just like Natalie's testimony, in response to our hearing the gospel message. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And having tasted and seen his goodness and the change his indwelling presence has in our life, we too can see that this water Jesus offers is in fact Jesus' indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives, welling up in us like a spring to eternal life. Having the change that Jesus desires, that Jesus brings, that your life, your life and mine can be changed from base to brilliant, from mediocre to majestic, from pathetic to purposeful. Lord Jesus, fill us anew. And what a joy the Samaritan woman felt at her newfound optimism. No longer living in the shadow of the other villages, she had had an encounter with the Messiah and that changed her life. She wanted to tell everyone about this man, what he told her, what he offered her, and how he had accepted her. She was, in a sense, bubbling over as she left her water jar at the well and she ran back to the village telling others of her encounter with Jesus. This same woman, who only just earlier was alone, ashamed and downtrodden, was now wanting to know and see, wanting others to know and see what she had experienced, what she had become that spring of water in her belief in the Messiah welling up within her. Did she know anything about the Lord yet? No. Only what he offered her she saw was real and she wanted for herself and for others. Those villagers who had previously spurned her now listened as she brought them out to see and speak with Jesus. Verse 40 in our passage says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. It's a great story, isn't it? Jesus' gentle approach allowed the Samaritan woman to interact with him, despite their religious and cultural differences. Jesus wasn't judging her, but he didn't overlook her past or her current life either. Gently, he drew her to see that there is salvation in him, the Messiah, and she brought others to meet him. So here we see Jesus intentionally bringing salvation and new life to the non-Jew, salvation to the Gentiles. Jesus tells her, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Which I guess might sound condescending or even arrogant given the historical animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, but it was and it is the truth. Salvation is from the Jews, but through Jesus as Messiah and not through the Jewish law. Jesus goes on to say, yet a time is coming and has now come because of him, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. It was therefore not about where the worshipper was, whether it was in the temple in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim, for now in Christ all believers in him have access to worship God wherever they are. 
Worship has become a matter of the heart, not a matter of place or a matter of practice. And it is directed by truth rather than ceremony. And to worship God in truth is to know who the God is that we worship. Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. So Jesus is truth and the truth. And to worship Jesus from an outpouring of love and thankfulness of heart, well, Jesus says that is the kind of worship that the Father is seeking from us. It is the kind of life and faith that is a spring that wells up to eternal life in the life of the believer. No wonder the Samaritan woman was so transformed in her attitude and joy had come into her life. I find it interesting that uh, Jesus uses three different stories of faith and transformation where a Samaritan, one of those despised outsiders, becomes the hero of the story. There's the story of the Good Samaritan where the uh, Samaritan is the one who stops and provides practical help to the injured person while all the religious Jews walk past. Or the healing of the ten lepers spoke on a few weeks back where it's only the Samaritan man uh, they were all healed, but it was only the Samaritan man who returned to Jesus to give thanks. And this one, the woman at the well. Reinforcing for us in each story that is the attitude of our heart that God desires. An attitude of gratitude and thankfulness to our God, who in Christ Jesus has given us a way to return to him, a forgiven people because of Christ's sacrifice for our sins on the cross to return to a new and wonderful relationship regardless of our past history. Thanks be to God. Charles Spurgeon wrote of this story. What does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. A man's face might be unwashed, but he can drink. He might be an unworthy character, but yet a draught of water will remove his thirst. He says, perhaps there is no better representation of faith in all the word of God than that. Our story continues with the return of the disciples with some food to Jesus at the well. And John says they were surprised to see him speaking with the woman. But they didn't say anything to him, rather they offered him some of the food that they had bought. I wonder if the encounter with the woman, Samaritan woman at the well would have ended the same way if the disciples had remained with Jesus. Probably not. I'm guessing with a, that with a group of men there, the woman would have scurried away back to the village after she had drawn her water from the well. But Jesus' heart was for the woman's salvation, that she should know him as the Messiah and the salvation he brings. And surprisingly, that was a common thread between the Jews and the Samaritans, both Religions eagerly awaited the arrival of the Messiah to make things right. How it must have lifted her spirits when Jesus said, I am he. And it was Jesus' response to the disciples when they offered him some food that served to show his disciples and to show us where his priority was in bringing people to salvation. If you look at verse 32, Jesus said, when offered food by his disciples, he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. The disciples asked each other, could someone else have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
Don't you have a saying, it is still four months to harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Which to me is the moral of this story. Jesus met the downcast Samaritan woman in her need, right where she was. Jesus showed his compassion and he loved her as she was. Gently he showed her her need for change and repentance. Through his acceptance and non-judgment of her, he brought understanding and change and joy to her life that she had not experienced before. And that, through that interaction with her, she then brought the other villages back so that many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. What a turnaround for the Samaritan woman. Jesus uses the poor, the lowly and the unlovely to do his will. And she just did that. And she did just that. So it's no wonder that Jesus says to his disciples, and he says the same to you and to me today, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Be ready to gently share the gospel and your testimony wherever Jesus leads you, to whomever he leads you. For his words are life, a life-giving stream of water, a spring welling up to eternal life. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that in Jesus we have life, that his words are a stream of water welling up to eternal life, that in him we are changed, we have new life, we are born again and we are changed our innermost being. Joy comes into our life. Father, we thank you for this story and how it speaks to us in Jesus' name. Amen.